My name's Jamie, if we haven't met, I'm one of the pastors of our church, the guy who gets to do a good bit of the preaching. Super excited that, that you're here today. Uh, this culmination of the Advent season, the crescendo as we celebrate the birth of Jesus, which we always celebrate, by the way. It's just a more heightened experience this time of year. Um, if you live in the area, let me just say this before we even jump into the scriptures this evening. If you live in the area and you don't have a, a church home, my hope is that your experience is, is one of truth and grace as you gather with us and that that compels you to, to come back around as we dive into the new year and continue to work our way through the book of Luke. Speaking of the book of Luke, I just gave away where we're gonna be in the Bible this evening. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open up to Luke chapter two. We'll be in the first 20 verses of that chapter if you don't have a Bible, you'll be able to track on the screen behind me as we work our way through this evening's passage. Those verses will be up there as well as other scripture references and quotes here or there. Let me, let me go ahead and pray for us so that we can jump into this incredible story together. God, I have no idea of what anybody brings into this place this evening. Some of us come in on a real high, celebrating, excited, enthusiastic about this day and the day to come. Others of us come in grieving, experiencing great sadness in the midst of loss and, and unmet expectations. Perhaps everywhere along that spectrum, somewhere in between, many of us fall. Maybe we're just a, a culmination of both highs and lows, just a roller coaster of sorts as we come into this place. And that makes me all the more thankful for a story that doesn't move. It's always there for us. Um, we get bored with it. We're the problem, not the story. God, I pray that you would awaken our hearts yet again to the wonder of Christmas this evening, that we might not just throw around trite statements like Jesus is the reason for the season, but that, uh, that we would truly believe that with, with our minds, with our hearts, with our whole being, Lord, and that that would be why we're here this evening to bring honor, praise, and glory to you. You so richly deserve it. I pray that you're honored even as we sit with your word this evening. God, would you move in power and attend the preaching of your word. By the power of your Holy Spirit, we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. So I mentioned on more than one occasion along the way in the brief time that we've been in Luke's gospel account, going back to late November, I believe, that this particular book of the Bible opens with a couple of birth announcements, two stories laid out side by side for comparison and contrast that Luke uh, tells us of the, the birth of John the Baptist, the one who would prepare the way of the Lord, and he tells of the birth of Jesus, Christ the Lord himself. You get, you get two announcements, you get two pregnancies, you get... Two songs of praise, even going back to the last couple of weeks as we looked at Mary's Magnificat and Zechariah's Benedictus, two of the, the earliest New Testament Christmas carols. And the fascinating thing, I mentioned this this past Sunday, these two stories, they, they really couldn't be any more different. The comparison itself meant to show something of the contrast for what it is, which Luke continues to reveal to us now through the stories of these two babies being born into the world. Going back to last Sunday, it was the birth of John the Baptist, which that story, his birth, takes up, believe it or not, a whopping two verses of scripture. Chapter one, verses 57 and 58. The birth of Jesus takes up three full paragraphs spanning a total of 20 verses 
And that's because the story of Christmas is not ultimately about John, but rather Jesus Christ. Emmanuel, God with us, God having clothed himself in flesh. Luke tells us in chapter two, verse one, he says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered each to his own town. At the time of Jesus's birth, just to kind of get our historical bearing, so to speak, a mandated registration by the Roman government was instituted for the purpose of taxing the people, get everybody's name on a roll so we can take money from them. There's a reason that to this day, the paying of taxes is referred to as rendering unto Caesar's, uh, Caesar that, the things that are Caesar's, right? Caesar Augustus was the Roman emperor at the time of Jesus's birth. He was the great nephew of Julius Caesar, having come to power in defeating Antony and Cleopatra so that you have some, some pretty heavy hitters going back to our grade school history classes. This was a, this was a man worshiped by many, by the masses. The name Augustus meaning holy, a title reserved only for the gods prior to his reign. He was the first ruler to actually use that name, declared to be the savior of the people because of his efforts to bring peace to, to Rome, the, the famous Pax Romana. In fact, he was referred to by many of his followers, many of his people as, quote, the son of the divine. One, one inscription from his reign declaring, quote, the birth of the God, the God being Caesar Augustus, the birth of the God has marked the beginning of the good news, the gospel for the world. You have a savior for the people, the son of the divine, good news for the world. You, you see what Luke's doing here, right, as an author. He goes on to say in, in verse four, and Joseph also went up from Galilee from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, verse six, the time came for her to give birth. Though Mary and Joseph reside in shoddy Nazareth, a town out of which nothing good seemingly comes, the, the couple's forced to travel to Bethlehem for the purpose of this government-mandated registration, Bethlehem being the hometown of Joseph's ancestors, the, the city of David, which at first glance seems to be nothing more than Luke simply continuing to tell the story that he's been telling for upwards of 60 or so verses, when in actuality, it's a booming declaration of the sovereignty of God. Right? You see, God had promised centuries prior, hundreds of years prior to this moment that we sit with in scripture this evening, that the Messiah would be born in the city of Bethlehem. Very famous passage that gets read oftentimes this time of year, Micah chapter five, verse two, but you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. That from a, from a human perspective, seems as though Jesus is born in Bethlehem solely for political reasons, right? Due to a, a census established by the Romans. From a divine perspective, God had it planned all along to show something of his promise-keeping sovereignty and power. In the words of one commentator that I read in preparation for this service, 
Quote, Mary and Joseph appeared to be helpless pawns caught in the movement of secular history, but every move was under the hand of Almighty God. God is the author of this great story of redemption, not Caesar Augustus. It's a story that, that proclaims something of the upside down nature of the kingdom of God as he chooses lowly Bethlehem to be the birthplace of the Messiah. A, a declaration that this great story, this great redemptive historical drama is not about human merit, but God's mercy. Communicating something of the immeasurable riches of God's grace toward lost sinners. The same words spoken to Bethlehem are spoken to you and me. I didn't choose you because you're impressive. Christmas is the story of God's grace, his lavish grace toward those of us who like Bethlehem are too little to be among the clans of Judah, so to speak. Luke goes on to say in verse seven, and she, Mary, gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Kind of, Wild to think about. If you give it just a couple of moments of thought, Jesus Christ spoke creation into existence. He upholds the universe, Hebrews 1, by the word of his power so that this world keeps spinning because of Jesus. You might ask the question, couldn't he have seen to it that a room was available at the inn? Doesn't he have the power to pull off that? I mean, surely he was fully capable of removing the no vacancy signs that, that filled the city of Bethlehem that night, but he didn't do it. The author of human history chose to enter the story of human history by way of the feeding troughs of Bethlehem surrounded by a supporting cast of smelly barnyard animals, and he meant to do it. He meant it to be so. He willed it to be so. Kent Hughes, in his commentary on this famous passage of scripture, he says, it was clearly a leap down. Okay, picture this. As if the son of God rose from his splendor, stood poised at the rim of the universe, irradiating light, and dove headlong, speeding through the stars over the Milky Way to Earth's galaxy, finally past Arcturus, where he plunged into a huddle of animals. Nothing could be lower, Hughes says. Nothing could be wilder. None of us would have written the story that way. And Christmas is meant to, to overwhelm us with, with the merciful humility of the eternal God, a God who would stoop down in order to raise us up out of the pit of hopelessness, lost in our sins without him. God showing himself accessible to the lowest of the low, the vilest of the vile, the dirtiest of the dirty. And speaking of the dirty, Luke goes on to tell us in verse eight, he says, and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news, gospel. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Shepherds just minding their own business, 
keeping watch over their flock by night in the very fields, mind you, where animals were groomed for the temple sacrifices in Jerusalem, just on the outskirts of the city, surrounded by hundreds of lambs that would eventually be led to the slaughter. When out of the darkness, Luke tells us, the light of God's glory burst forth, an angel of the Lord appearing, not to those with greatest political power, not to those with the most expansive religious pedigree, to the lowest of the low, the poorest of the poor, the the part that no one wants in the Christmas play, the outcasts of society considered unclean because of their inability to observe the ceremonial law. An angel of the Lord appears to a group of ordinary shepherds in the midst of their ordinary lives. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, And here's the news of Christmas. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. A message of great joy. One that dispels fear, verse 10. One that brings peace, verse 14. A Savior for the people. Good news for the world. The Son of the divine. Where are you at now, Caesar Augustus, with your many titles of divinity? You just see Caesar under the interrogation light here in Luke's writing. Can you rescue people from their sins? Can you fulfill all of God's Old Testament promises? Can you bear the weight of an eternal kingdom upon your shoulders? Because guess what, Luke says, Jesus can. It's amazing to think, here's the irony of this passage. In Caesar Augustus, you have a man seeking to become a God. In Jesus Christ, you have the true God having become man. That you and I might know eternal joy, eternal peace, true salvation. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Going back to last Sunday, the promised sunrise from on high. And suddenly, Luke tells us, verse 13, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. In excelsis Deo, the angels sing. Suddenly the angel of the Lord surrounded by myriads of angels. Can you imagine that? All doing what most everyone has done thus far in Luke's gospel account when brought face to face with the wonder of Christmas, the wonder of Jesus Christ. They sing. Because going back to last Sunday, the gospel is and must be a musical. It's not enough to say what God has done in Jesus Christ, it must be sung. It must have chord progressions and lyrics to it and choreographed dance. That's the gospel even if you can't clap on beat. You should do it for Jesus, especially at Christmas. Luke goes on in verse 15. He says, when the angels went away, for that awe-striking moment, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go over to, to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. 
You can just picture the shepherds having traveled to Bethlehem, now looking down in wide-eyed wonder upon the newborn Jesus, the cradler of the heavens, now cradled in the arms of a teenage girl, someday to, to be taught by his father how to work with wood and stone, though he spoke trees and rocks into existence. That's humble condescension. That's God's power displayed through weakness. It's God's MO. He does it all throughout the scriptures. We'll see it throughout Jesus's ministry. We'll see it ultimately in his defeat of death through his own death when it seemed like the story was over. And, and that, even that day, we see foreshadowed in this moment a day when Jesus would yet again be wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying within borrowed property and shrouded in burial linens in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. The reality is the story of Christmas is that Jesus was born to die. I mean, most of us know this. Those tiny hands were destined to receive the nails of crucifixion. I love the way J.I. Packer says it. He says, the Christmas message is that there is hope for a ruined humanity, hope of pardon, hope of peace with God, hope of glory, because at the Father's will, Jesus became poor and was born in a stable so that 30 years later, he might hang on a cross. Jesus was born to die. The hope of ruined sinful humanity reminding us that the God's rescue mission is not based on intrinsic lovability. It's not based on moral fiber. It's not about impressing some divine elf on a shelf. It's about a cradle leading to a cross that lost sinners like you and me by, might be saved by grace alone. You gotta wonder if the, the shepherds saw something with brand new eyes from that moment on because Luke goes on to tell us in closing out this evening's passage Verse 20, he says, and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Back to their ordinary lives. Everything else in life must have been a buzzkill after that night, right? You talk about the rest of the shepherd's life was a December 26 over and over again. Back to the fields, back to the hundreds of sheep that would soon be sacrificed in the Jerusalem temple, the hundreds of lambs that would soon be led to the slaughter. Having just seen, mind you, with their very own eyes, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. They'd just seen with their own eyes the very fulfillment of the entire sacrificial system, which had surrounded them in, in those fields for so many years. And what that tells us, and I've said it numerous times, over the course of years of Christmas seasons coming on, that Christmas is an indictment before it's a joy. It's a declaration that we like sheep have all gone astray, Isaiah 53. But one of the best words in all the Bible, there's good news for a world of lost sinners because the angel declares for unto you, unto you, unto me, is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord, that yes, we're far more sinful than we ever imagined, make no mistake about it, but we're far more loved than we ever dared dream. That Jesus came, as Luke will go on to tell us in this great story he's out to tell, that Jesus came not to condemn the world, but to seek and save the lost, the shepherds of this world. 
If I could quote Kent Hughes again, he says, it is not enough to hear about Jesus. It is not enough to peek in the manger and say, oh, how nice. What a lovely scene. It gives me such good feelings. The truth is, even if Christ were born in Bethlehem a thousand times, but not within you, you would be eternally lost. The Christ who was born into the world must be born in your heart. Religious sentiment, even at Christmas time, without the living Christ is a yellow brick road to darkness. He goes on to say, the Holy Spirit included this story in the Holy Scriptures so that we would not miss the point. The real savior of the world was not Caesar Augustus, nor will it be any great world leader for that matter. The savior of the world is Jesus, he says, the son of God who came to earth, veiled in Mary's flesh, was born in human flesh, lived in the flesh, died in the flesh, was resurrected in that flesh, and now lives in the same glorified flesh at the right hand of the father. If you're not a Christian, the... The invitation is simple. It's to receive the greatest gift that's ever been given, Jesus Christ, the true savior for the people, the true good news for the world, the true son of the divine, Christ your savior, Christ your king, Christ your treasure. And if you are a Christian, this is about all we do around here. I just invite you to behold yet again with wide-eyed wonder the glory and grace of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We're just gonna keep doing that till he comes back or we die, amen? Anything better to do? It's a great cost to himself that a way has been made for us to know eternal peace, eternal joy. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior who is Christ the Lord, the baby in the manger, now the king seated on the throne of heaven. So that the story of Christmas is the story of the glory of God revealed from the cradle to the cross to the crown that we don't worship a baby lying in a manger this evening. We worship a king seated on a throne. He's alive. And so we can sing with fullness of heart and we sing truth when we sing it, that he rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glory of his righteousness and wonders of his love. Our savior and our king, Jesus Christ.